0: Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a National Diocese of the Anglican Church in North America led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the C4SO podcast. It is 2021, and uh, I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and I'm here with Bishop Todd Hunter.
2: Hey, Ben. Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year to you, Bishop. Um, before we dive in, uh, how did you spend your Christmas holiday?
2: Well, this is, I guess, sort of a cheesy segue into what we're going to do today, but it's the, it's the <laughs> honest make, truth. Make it lighthearted before we yeah, uh, dive it's in. The, deep. It's the honest truth. Um, <laughs> You know, with COVID and everything, we didn't go anywhere or do anything. Um, we had a very quiet Christmas, just Debbie and our son, and our mm-hmm. daughter was stuck in California. Just mm-hmm. so happened, uh, you may remember, in that sort of Christmas New Year's week, the two worst states in America for COVID were uh, Tennessee, where I live, and uh, oh, California, yeah. where our daughter lives. So oh, gosh. we just, we had a quiet Christmas, uh, stayed home for the most part. But I did a lot of reading, um, and it, it almost felt like a pleasant study break. Um, I, I ended up, I've been curious about these things, as a lot of our listeners will know. So, I read a book called *The Righteous Mind*, which is oh, a, yeah. which is a, Jonathan Haidt. Yeah, which is three or four hundred pages of trying to understand how it is that human beings take in information. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how that's both an intellectual and an emotional process. Um, I read a really, really interesting book called "Strangers in Their Own Land," um, trying to understand the Christian Right or Trumpism, as I think she puts it. Those sorts of things. Hmm. That was a fascinating read. Uh, I read a book called uh, "Jesus and John Wayne," which was super depressing. I don't think <laughs> in my whole life I've ever read a book and thought, "I got to call this author." And I called her. She's a lovely uh, Christian Demuse, Kristen Demuse from. Uh, Dumes maybe sorry Dumes I name. think you pronounce it Dume okay seen, yeah uh, from Calvin College uh, had a very interesting conversation with her last week um, mm-hmm. so I read a lot of just sort of gut gut wrenching stuff and then yeah. and then the whole world you know, sort of broke into what it broke into so oh, I yeah. was yeah you know, I was kind of set up to think in these ways yeah yeah well we had
1: a quiet Christmas as well uh, we did not. Uh, we normally travel back to Minnesota to visit our families my wife and I but um because of covid it had the same kind of Christmas as you a little little quieter yeah um, and uh, yeah Jesus and John Wayne is on my list to read I have it on my shelf uh, behind me uh, I've heard good things well if about you're it. if you're my
2: age and you um, spent your whole life living and leading in the evangelical world it's seriously depressing <laughs> yes yes that's what I've heard it's uh flabbergasting and
1: depressing yeah <laughs> Um, well, we've we've, uh, we've got some good stuff planned here for 2021, um, just to let you know about uh, before we dive into today's topic. But um, we've got a, a series planned um, after today. We're going to interview some of the leaders of our diocese about aspects of our life together as a diocese, this geographically diverse diocese. We're going to talk with um, the folks who oversee church planting and next generation ministry and ordination and all of that kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to that. And then uh, during Lent, we've got something planned uh, as well, kind of a special series that we're going to do during Lent, which starts on uh, February 17th this year, I believe. Um, But first, we thought we'd just kick off 2021 by diving straight into the deep end and doing a podcast on Christian nationalism.
2: (laughs) You know, there's nothing else going on in the world, Ben. Why not just
1: keep it real, right? (laughs) Yeah, totally. It would almost feel weird to have a podcast where I guess we didn't address uh, some of these events. Um, Yeah that happened uh, this recent uh, attack on the Capitol building. Um, Mm -hmm. And we wanna talk about Christian nationalism today because uh, this is an unavoidable aspect of what happened. Um, Many of the rioters were doing this explicitly in the name of Jesus. They were carrying flags, there were Christian symbols, rituals, there was language um, that was unmistakable. People were talking about Jesus saving, uh, there were prayers happening for God to bring reformation and revival, Um, people were giving thanks for the wonderful nation we've all been blessed to live in, asked God for a restoration of their value systems and for the courage and the strength to both represent you and represent our culture well, these are direct quotes from prayers uh, from reporters, they invoked divine protection for what was about to come, and then they rose, their leader, this is a leader of a group of self-proclaimed proud boys, declared into a bullhorn that the media must get the heck out of the way. Mm-hmm. And then they moved toward the capital. So all of this sort of fueled and funded by Christian symbols, Christian language. Yeah. Um, and as uh, a priest in um, our province said, Tish Harrison Warren said in her recent article about the tax, she said, the storming of the capital cannot be understood outside the heresy of Christian nationalism peddled by so many Christian voices today. So, Anyway, what we saw was Christian faith kind of blended or conflated with a very specific mm-hmm. and pernicious brand of American nationalism, so um we thought we could maybe shed some light on that, uh, share some thoughts about that um, and go from there but what yeah. what you know what is Christian nationalism? Maybe we can start there Bishop Todd
2: well, a lot of our listeners probably will have read something I wrote recently and it, it can be found on my social media and I don't know where else but uh, issues Facing Clergy Today, Volume 5, um, where I write about Christian nationalism. Um, but hearing what you just said, Ben, it just gave me a flashback hmm. to the things you read about the Civil War, hmm. where in hindsight—well, first of all, to say that, you know, that phrase, Civil War, has been being thrown around now for, what, six, seven, eight months? I mean, maybe longer, but it feels yeah. like it really sort of bubbled up in frequency in the last year, let's say. Hmm. Um, And maybe coinciding with COVID and, you know, people feeling like freedom's being taken away or things being imposed on them, like masks and social distancing and shutting down of businesses and that sort of thing. But any of the stuff you read post the Civil War, people are always aghast at how on both sides of, you know, the line, you might say, you know, just picture in your mind, soldiers facing each other, you know, Mm -hmm. in the World War II, sorry, Civil War style and both people on both ends would have been doing what you just said you know mm. invoking god for favor favor on their side yeah. reading the same bible in many time in many cases as anglicans praying out of the same prayer book yeah. and then killing each other yeah you know historians just and you know christian historians just look on back on that and go what the heck like that's where nationalism mm. takes you now i'm you know yeah. of course we're not talking about the rightness or wrongness of you know what was happening on each side we're talking here about the the sort of religious or spiritual psychology that underlies
0: Hmm.
2: um, and that um, not just underlies, but animates and foments um, the attitudes and actions of Christian nationalism. So essentially, Hmm. Ben, I think Christian nationalism is just a conflating of the sort of goals and ends of Christianity with the goals and ends of a particular nation state. Now we, of course, happen to live in America. Mm. All this right now happens to be happening in America, yeah. so we can talk about the American version of a of a nation state. Uh, it often gets linked to American exceptionalism. Um, yes. It go, it goes back all the way actually to frontier America, where the mm-hmm. where um, some of the people at least really were trying to create kind of a pure, you know, Christian state. Of course, you know, that was never held by, it was not, never the goal of everybody who first came to America. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly would have, wouldn't have been the goal of the indigenous peoples. And so then you've got the trouble and strife of all of frontier and colonial America, which a lot of that had to do with um, various ways of viewing Christian nationalism or rejecting it. Yeah. So we just have it uh, again today where it, I think, the, the, Well, there's lots, I guess, to be said about it negatively, but maybe the headline is that it creates a syncretism between the kingdom of God and nation states. And it it creates a kind of civil religion that makes one's um, membership in America, even if it's only inadvertently, sort of trump one's citizenship in the global people of God, which that has a very different set of interests attached to it than, quote, the interests of uh, American. Christian nationalism.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me uh, because I think there's one, there's one kind of um, nationalism that would put sort of American interests over the interests of other countries and, you know, allow us to uh, think in those ways. But it's interesting to me that I think what we're seeing is almost a, like you you mentioned the civil war Mm -hmm. um, kind of way of thinking about this, that what we're seeing is a, is a, Two almost two Americas, and, and there's a there's a Christian nationalism that is sort of uh, accusing the other side of not being real Christians, you know, or, yes. or not being real Americans, you know, yeah. um, and that kind of a or thing. Or so, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Or both. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I, I think this is uh, it's a timely issue um, uh, to bring up. I I wonder if, what you'd say. This like many Christians would claim, maybe this isn't that big of a deal. Um, Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. like, you know, like being a patriot and being a Christian, you know, they're not really in conflict. Um, in fact, they might even go together in some ways, but, you know, in that um, issues facing clergy, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, by the way, oh, thanks. Um, you say that uh, this is actually an issue of idolatry. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you can say more about that.
2: Well, because identities, um, while I, while a person's identity is complex, you know, like, Um, male, uh, female, old, young, you know, whatever. While Mm -hmm. there are complexities to a person's identity, there's also fundamental things. And a Mm. Christian's fundamental identity is in Christ and in the gospel of the inbreaking of the kingdom that Christ proclaimed. That then has to challenge every single other of our identities. Yeah, yeah. And I think a big part of what you're younger than me, Ben. So maybe you've been on top of this, but for somebody like me who turned 65 in April, a big part of what's been happening to me in the last few years, and I think especially the last year, is I have to let the gospel of the kingdom challenge even my identity Mm -hmm. as an older, you know, white male. Uh, who grew up with, you know, tons of privilege, you know, to use that language. Um, I have to let the kingdom of God critique that. Hmm. And if one says, I'm a patriot outside of the critique of the kingdom of God, that is a very dangerous place to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Where there's a, there's a danger there of, um, of idolatry, of putting yes. something mm-hmm. besides my identity in Christ yeah. in the place uh, as as right. sort of the most important aspect of my identity or fun, the fundamental aspect right. now, uh, of who I am.
2: Now, uh, I think maybe you were trying to say this, Ben, that, but that um, if you have that really solid sort of Christ-based identity, yes, that could allow you, and I'm and thinking out loud here, maybe not only would allow, but would lead us towards loving our country. But, the, you know... Uh, love means to will the good of the other it doesn't mean to break things and kill people <laughs> um, yeah or that's to, um, not an expression of loving your country in a christ-like way
1: yeah or if your country is doing something harmful or wrong to, yes you know the love love speaks about those things right love, love yes uh, declares those things yeah um, I think it's it one of the
2: most difficult things sorry Ben I think it's one of the most difficult things going on right now and that is to critique America at least in social media and talk radio, cable TV, that sort of thing, you're almost immediately branded as hating America. Right. Well, these people hate America. Right. And I just find that really nonsensical. I mean, if you someday look in the mirror or get on a scale and realize you're 50 or 100 pounds overweight, to observe that doesn't mean you hate yourself. Now, you might have some self-hatred going on in you, but that's besides the point. Right. <laughs> to, to notice reality and to name it, like for a dentist to say you have a cavity, that doesn't make the dentist a hater. Mm-hmm. And I think to say, to call out the error uh, in America is not to hate America. It actually could be to work to, the motive could actually be working towards her good.
1: Yeah. Yes. I think that's true.
2: Um, what would you say uh, to people
1: who might push back on this and to say that if we if we do critique uh, America or if we push back on Christian nationalism that just means that we're promoting anarchy or rebellion against uh, political authorities um, you know, how, how do we relate to political entities um, yeah as Christians the worldly political entities
2: yeah well the classic biblical passage of course is romans uh, thirteen one through four um, in which paul is is um, precisely trying to help people figure out how as is, how is Christians and citizens of this new kingdom, what does that mean for our citizenship in these kind of earthly powers or earthly uh, kingdoms, earthly realms. Mm-hmm. And of course, the vision there for Paul is that you know we must work well with them or you know submit to them. But the idea there for Paul is that these systems are meant to um, produce human flourishing and human good and protect the vulnerable etc and when those things aren't doing that or there is a hegemony or a um a marginalizing marginalizing of people that sort of thing then yes it's perfectly fine for Christians to speak out about that because again um However one wants to put this, the purposes of God, the inbreaking of his kingdom, the will of God for humanity, however somebody mm-hmm. wants to put that, that is precisely a critique of every aspect of humanity, including my own life, my own worldview, you know, my own presuppositions and stuff. It's meant to critique everything, but yeah. but the kingdom is, you know, Jesus said it's like a mustard seed. It grows quietly. It's never bullying um. You know, it it doesn't seek to overthrow it. it. It allows things to happen. So I think we, yes, we do have a, we are meant to have a prophetic voice.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I wonder too, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, you know, I quoted from Tish Warren's article a little earlier. Mm-hmm. And in that article, she talks about, I think one of the most prophetic things we can do um, is to own... Our complicity or our our place and to so, so sort of identify um, with how we've been part uh, of that problem, and she she sort of identifies um, aspects of of the white evangelical church as being part of the issue here. That mm-hmm. part of the problem is that a lot of these people came out of that context, and a lot of you know a lot of us in the ACNA and C4SO uh, also come out of that context. Right. Um, uh I I don't know what would you say to that is there is there a I see that as a prophetic thing to call uh-huh. to to repent uh of our you know complicity or failure to speak you know I I've been thinking about that I preached uh, this last Sunday and um and that was part of part of the sermon was 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 saying you know I like I haven't spoken you know when I when I should have um, right I haven't I haven't spoken when I should have and that that has directly resulted in not just the sort of, uh, I mean, it may be indirectly resulted, but not, it has resulted in some of these displays of Christian nationalism. And um, as Esau McCulley, our uh, canon theologian, one of our canon theologians, points out, that has resulted then in the, um, it oftentimes threatens black and brown bodies specifically. So there's like there's a, there's a racial aspect, I think, to, to this brand of Christian nationalism that we have to grapple with.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, again, I think it's one of the biggest challenges in the rhetoric today is that to try to get at what you're suggesting, Ben, Mm -hmm. is to be immediately accused of being woke or, you know, to be a part of the woke left. And so these, you know, categorizing, totalizing kinds of ways of talking to each other. Now, for me, this actually began a few years ago, and I don't remember what first triggered it, but certainly over the last year, you know, beginning with last summer, um, it's made me think more deeply about it. But again, at my age, that means I grew up with Father Knows Best. I grew up with mm-hmm. Leave It to Beaver. Yeah. You know, I grew up with I Dream of Jeannie and what was another witch show? I don't remember what it was, but... Um, <laughs> You know that—that's. I grew up with, you know, late fifties, early sixties TV as I was a little kid, and as far as I know, I knew that was the world. And so, when we now in the, you know, the the two thousands or the two thousand tens or now the two thousand twenties, we talk about sort of going back to this magical age in America when America was great. Um, I wouldn't have had any motive or ability to challenge that until one day, maybe it was reading about racism. I just realized the fifties were not a great time for women. They were not a great time for people of color, the fifties or whatever, the po- that sort of post-World yeah. War II, 25 yeah. years or so after World War II that are now seen as like the golden years. It's just, it's not woke. It's just, I think, honest to say those weren't great times for everybody. Yeah, They were great times for a certain sort of person, um, myself included. So you mm-hmm. can just laugh at me, Ben, because you are younger. Yeah. I'm not kidding. I've spent probably an hour or two trying to research what the term woke even means. Yeah. Like, what is this that everybody's so mad at? And. <laughs> And like, why does yeah. woke have to immediately make you this sort of crazy leftist? Why can't it mean something like, "I'm becoming aware," or yes. yeah. "I'm repenting," or something? <laughs> so I honestly don't. I honestly yeah. don't get it. I, everybody can yeah. laugh at me. I'm just old and out of it.
1: No, it, it, but, it's it is interesting how it quickly became. I mean, it used to be a, uh, a good term, you know, to yes, like, refer to right? like a, a white, well, yeah, a white person who like was seeing these things for the yeah. first time, they would say, oh, yeah, you're woke. Um, yeah. But then it became this kind of insult or, you know, yeah. um, that kind of a thing where it's like, <laughs> that is that yeah. is kind of the funny, the funny aspect of it to me is is thinking that it's like, well, wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you rather see reality than not see yeah. it? Wouldn't you rather be awake to these things than ignorant? Um, but yeah, anyway, I forgot right. a
2: couple of the books that I read over Christmas was um, The Sun Does Shine, um, you know, tells the story of Anthony Hinton, hmm. which, you know, is an aspect of the story. And now I'm drawing a blank of of his attorney, that um, famous African-American attorney. Oh, um, yeah, yeah.
1: Brian Stevenson? Is yeah. That,
2: do I have and, that name right? Yeah. Yes, and I, yes, I think that's right. And I can't remember the name of Brian's book, but I read both of those. Just Mercy. Yeah, Just Mercy. It's a, it's a movie too, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. But It's just heart wrenching. I mean, I don't know how you read that, not just the pre civil rights movement or even the civil rights movement, and then the pushback that came to the civil rights movement, you know, after it, after the legislation was passed and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I don't just don't know how you read that story and stay asleep. Like, how is staying Mm. asleep a good thing and being woke a bad thing? I, I don't get it, but I know that's the way the word is used. And, um, I don't, I don't know. You know, it goes maybe, Ben, the, the, you can get me back on track here, but it goes maybe with um, that book I read on, you know, strangers in their own land that mm-hmm. there is a, a group of, you know, white people who are just sort of like tired of being accused of being racist and they don't think they are and they they can't see in any way that they are and they're sort of like tired mm-hmm. of being shamed and in their mind belittled and bullied. I mean, that's a, that's a part of what this sociologist was discovering by... Mm. Um, tracking these white people um, in the South, and so it, it's difficult. I have empathy for it, but like I'm not trying to be woke in some politically correct way or politically incorrect, yeah. whatever wokeness is. <laughs> I'm honestly just trying to be a Christian and yeah. and learn from Jesus to to love and literally care for everybody. Yes, and that that has both a system, a personal and a systemic or institutional or whatever word somebody wants to use, it has an undeniable element to it. And yeah. I like I can't deny it. I have to find a way to work with it
1: yeah.
2: or work against it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, think, I think that's really important. Um, uh, you know, one, one of the books that I um, read, um, or I'm almost finished with, I was reading over a Christmas break. It's called My Grandmother's Hands mm. by Resma Monachem. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Um, but he he talks about he talks about that like the the experience of, like, the experience of trauma, mm-hmm. um, in black bodies and in white bodies that that sort of causes these uh, fight or flight res- responses. Yeah, and that's kind of how he characterizes this like this allergy or this resistance to seeing these things is a fight or flight. Uh, response that's embedded into our bodies that comes from culture, but also, their discovering comes genetically to us. Like it mm-hmm. is, it is a fascinating book. Um, mm-hmm. And he has—he's a therapist, uh, the author—and he has a fascinating um, take on all of this. To say, like, what, what we really need is healing. Like, all of our bodies need healing. We have to learn mm-hmm. how to instead of reacting when somebody says white supremacy or racism or that kind of a thing, especially for us as white people. Like, instead of reacting immediately to it learning to pay attention to what's happening in my body. Yeah. You know, learning to yeah. pay attention to, okay, what am I feeling? Like, what, you know, what's what What does this feeling feel like? And, and moving through it, he calls it um, moving through clean pain mm. rather than dirty pain. Dirty pain yeah. is when we don't deal with our own issues, but we rather just reactively project them onto other people. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, to get us back on track, I think the events at the Capitol on Epiphany um, are are like a group fight-or-flight response. You know, mm-hmm. in, in Resma Monicum's evaluation, it would probably be this group of people who were not sort of, you know, came into this mob mentality where they were just reacting to, you know, the, the, the feelings rather than actually dealing with them and naming yeah. them and, and moving through them. Um, yeah,
2: and think, Ben, how much um, paying attention to myself and sincerely paying attention to others with empathy is the exact opposite of violence.
0: Yes.
1: Yes. It's the exact opposite. That's that's exactly it.
2: And 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 the path and the only path forward to true understanding, true healing and true reconciliation. Yeah.
1: Well, here's I mean this is where I've been thinking about you actually as I read this book, Bishop Todd because um, I know you're you're passionate about spiritual formation mm-hmm. um, and one of the things that you've been wrestling with um, that you've you've talked about, I think on this podcast maybe before, but one of the things you've been wrestling with is like wh- how do, how does spiritual formation fit with s- some of these things that we're seeing you know in terms of uh, racial violence and you mm-hmm. know uh, the systemic uh, sin of uh, all this other stuff like what like how do these things relate um, and I, I'm wondering about you know, like even something like you just said, um, could be a kind of a connecting point between formation and, you know, racism, Yeah, that kind of a thing where, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible for us to practice violence against someone with whom we're feeling empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think the way I am reflecting on that now, Ben, after 20 or 25 years of being a part of like a quote, the spiritual formation movement or however we might describe that Mm
0: -hmm.
2: is it certainly the, the goal of all the leaders of that movement and not just the modern ones, but you know, the iterations over church history, there has been the assumption that a changed heart will more or less automatically lead to changed attitudes and changed Mm -hmm. behaviors. Mm I think I have to now say that I don't think that's automatic. Yeah. Um, I think what formation can do is create potentiality Hmm. that without formation, the potential is not even there to do the good, to do the right, to do the just. Hmm. But with an increasingly Christ-like heart, one, I think, still needs to be led into what Richard Foster in his book, Streams of Living Water, called the justice stream. Yes. And so I think it just requires, on you know, for people like us, Ben, who are Christian leaders and teachers, it requires patient, patient teaching. It requires, I think, the use of, like, the prophets to help us see how— um, the church can be misaligned with the kingdom in the same way Israel was. Hmm. And I think it calls for what I sometimes call in quotes evangelism, where we actually have to call people to the attitudes and behaviors and actions of justice Hmm. and doing it from, and doing it from a transformed heart into Christ likeness, of course, is the ideal way of doing that.
0: Yeah. But yeah,
1: sorry. No, that's great. Yeah. I think, um, and I think that harkens back to, you know, just some of the, you know, how woke became a, an insult. Because <laughs> um, I, think, I think the reason it's an insult, I think the implication is you're just jumping on a bandwagon. You're just uh-huh. trying to be part of the cool kids club. You're just trying to, you know, prove that you're something or other to, to other people. It's like a performance, yeah. you know, for, for, to uh-huh. gain acceptance by a group that you want to gain acceptance to. But I, I like the way that you're talking about it because it like, then, then justice is just an expression of Christian love. Yeah, You know, if we're listening to our black and brown brothers and sisters who are saying, hey guys, uh, this American nostalgia, like this actually harms us more than you realize. Here's yeah. how. And they start listing the ways. It's an act of love for us to say, okay, tell me more. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I didn't realize yeah. um, we need to do something about this. Like right. we, we need to make sure that this rhetoric doesn't show up in our churches. We need to call people into something better for you and so justice isn't you know some liberal thing like justice is god's thing it's just it's just what love looks like out in public
2: Um, yeah you know i just i'm as you know ben i'm such a jesus freak and i'm also a really big fan of the bible um Mm. i just think like how would human life be different if we just took one little pauline phrase Think of others more highly than you think of yourself. (laughs) Like we just took one little, whatever that is, five or six word phrase and just tried to live into it for our whole life. How different would this racial conversation be?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That I so value the perspective you're telling me Mm -hmm. that I want to like do what I can. I mean, it's impossible for me to fully embody it with you, but as much as I can as a, old white guy yeah i want to try to embody the story you're telling me so that i can feel what you feel because i actually think of you more highly than i think of myself yes so again like i don't get how that's a bad thing (laughs) Right. Yes. <laughs> like suddenly well, it, about. Th- I mean, I get it lives. on a social <laughs> level. I get it on a social psychological level. I sort of get it on the level of um, the uh, conversation on social media. But I don't get it on a deeper level. It seems like the right thing to me to
1: empathize yes. with others. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that's. Uh, yeah. I think that's so helpful. And we could we could talk about this um, all day probably. And maybe we'll do more episodes on it as um, events unfold. I mean, who knows? Um, you know what else is going to happen? I, um, I I'm not claiming to be a prophet here, but I just that level of of anger, sort of fueled mm-hmm. by I mean, all these conspiracy theories and every, everything, all the stuff that's out there um, that makes these conversations so difficult. I can't imagine that this this is a one and done mm-hmm. kind of a thing. I think we're going to be dealing with this for a long time. Um, maybe we can true. maybe uh, we can end here uh, with you putting on your bishop hat if you yeah. don't mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and what would you say to people who you know they've they've been looking at the uh, events of the past few um, days? Um, and you know, past few years and they, they find themselves deeply disturbed. They find themselves maybe, um, deeply, uh, hurt and disturbed by family members that they can't really have conversations with anymore because they're so stuck in conspiracy theories and, you know, Mm -hmm. all of these kinds of things like, um, they're, they're hurting. They don't, they don't know kind of what to do about what they're seeing. Their hearts are breaking, um, what would you say as uh, as a bishop? Like, what 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 can we do with uh, with those feelings?
2: Yeah. Well, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, do Friedman, and I'll say what I mean about that. And the second mm. one is do Jesus. So by do Friedman, I mean it's okay to fully self differentiate, mm. but you want to stay connected to the brokenness in your families and friendships as a non anxious presence. Mm. Um. So you can fully differentiate about your own thoughts and feelings about the um, present political conversation in all of its many aspects. Um, but we don't want to engage in, you know, now what's called the cancel culture or, you know, dividing from everybody, but rather stay connected and stay connected in a non-anxious way. So if, if you don't know Friedman, just yeah. go Google it and, you know, read a brief summary of Friedman. Yep. Um, But secondly, I would say, you know, that's what Jesus did. I mean, Hmm. um, a full, at least, um, well, let me count it up here. Judas, Peter, James, and John. So a full third of Jesus's initial group weren't really totally aligned with him, right? Hmm. Peter denied him three times. Hmm. Judas betrayed him. James and John totally misunderstood power and wanted to call down fire from heaven, et cetera, you know, wanted to sit at his right hand. So a full third of Jesus's people were like, um, you know, were significantly out of alignment with who he was and what he was doing, hmm. but he stayed totally lovingly connected with them. He washed their feet, you know. He he led them and fed them, and he, you know he did not separate himself from them because he thought he would get cooties or something. Hmm. So I think staying connected yeah. to our friends and family who think different than us takes a kind of spiritual courage. Yeah. Um to know that we don't have to win everything, every argument, we don't have to win over every person. We just wanna stay present um, to them, even mm-hmm. in the, the midst of um, of big disagreements and, and stay yeah. loving. And that, so the last thing I'd say is that, That book I read, The Righteous Mind. Um, Again, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but essentially, uh, I think it's hate. Yeah, Jonathan. Jonathan Hate, yeah. yeah. His essential argument is that most of us don't actually think about these things, we feel about them. Yes. And therefore, that's why so many people are frustrated right now with trying to argue with friends or family member and the argument's not getting anywhere. And it's because like, once you, from a feeling level, bought into a conspiracy theory or bought into the notion that the election was stolen or it wasn't stolen, it doesn't matter which angle you're coming from. Once you're emotionally committed to that, it becomes almost impossible to hear um, facts that challenge what you know, what yes. hate calls this elephant in our soul of this feeling yep. and that the elephant, you know, is like our brains are like a, a an ant, you know, to the elephant of our, um, more emotional or precognitive commitments. And that's why I think don't feel you're being lame just to stay lovingly present because it's going to take a while to deal with all of our elephants. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. I, I love, uh, I remember that image from reading that book. Um, the, the rider and the elephant. Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah, mm-hmm, I think so. You know, yeah. Your elephant your elephant just goes charging off in whatever direction it feels like it wants mm-hmm. to, and then the rider comes up with a reason why I've told the elephant to go in this direction, when <laughs> right. in reality, yeah. you didn't tell the elephant or to do Or tries to get the
2: elephant to go a different direction, <laughs> yeah, and the elephant's just, like, yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah.
1: And then you just come up with a reason why, oh, yeah, that's why we're charging this direction. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think that's really helpful. Stay connected. So, stay So, Ben, I think I want to say one last thing. Okay. Sorry.
2: Um I think every aspect of the church, every every element of the church, has different ways in which I think we have to be um, openly, openly, lovingly doing what Jesus asked us to do: repent and believe. So the white evangelical church has a certain notion; it will have a certain calling in that regard. Uh, The white fundamentalist church will have a slightly different calling. Um, what about the white charismatics who've been prophesying stuff that just yeah. seems like it's not very connected to reality, to say it kindly? <laughs> yes. um, they have their own way of repenting. And I can't speak yeah. for the black church, the Hispanic church, the Asian church, the yeah. uh, the poor church. Um, but my guess is what's needed for all of us is to be real about who we are, real about the angle and perspective by which we bring to this, and that's what I think Esau and Tish were trying to help us with. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think they're being mean when they talk about whiteness or evangelical or, penic- or uh, fundamentals or whatever. Yes. It's just trying to, like, name, like, a facet of the diamond that is attached to these current issues. Yes. And I think we just have to Sort of fearlessly name it, like James and John would have had to name it when Jesus said, "Sorry, guys, you just don't get it. I mean, mm-hmm. you really just don't get power and how power yeah. works." So James and John had to repent and believe. Yes, and I think this is just a moment. It's it's obviously way more than this, but it's at least a moment calling for all of us to to be willing to repent and to place yes. our confidence in a in an alternative political reality, um, namely the kingdom of
0: God.
1: Yes. Yeah. If God is real and his kingdom is among us, then repentance is one of the best things that could happen to me today. For me to find out I'm wrong and to do something different, well that's brilliant. Absolutely. It's a grace. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather know if I'm wrong than to just keep keep charging forward.
2: (laughs) Yeah, to see (laughs) that we're wrong. wrong. Yeah, to see that we're wrong and change is not a condemnation. It's a grace. And it's not only a grace for us, but it's a grace for those for whom our changed changed changedness. Yes. is a blessing to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's super helpful. I appreciate that. And if, if I would, I, I would just add some Willard. Do Willard as well. Yeah, um, go ahead. And, and in, the, in up, your...
2: Up. I can't believe you're going to up Willard me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, but anyway, but in, in all of that, as you repent and believe, as you stay connected and stay differentiated, as you move through uh, those things and those relationships, uh, abandon outcomes to God. Amen. Like, let the chips fall where they may. Go, Ben. Uh, don't don't worry about, you know, what the result is going to be. That's not all up to you. Um, yeah. Our responsibility is to tell the truth uh, about Christian nationalism, to tell the truth about ourselves, to repent and believe, and allow God to be God in all of those spaces.
2: Amen. So, it is so freeing to abandon outcomes to God. Yeah. It makes you gracious. It gives you the potential to be a gracious, generous, generative person. Yes. Well... Uh, I've
1: appreciated this conversation. Thank Bishop, you, Ben. thanks for sharing uh, your thoughts uh, with us. I'm uh, excited about our new year of the podcast. We're going to interview some leaders in our diocese and uh, do some stuff uh, over Lent that I'm really looking forward to as well. And uh, we'll go from there. But we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Um, we'll start that series on uh, uh, interviewing some of our leaders. We'll say more about that next week. Anything else to say,
2: Bishop Todd? Maybe next time we'll have something a little less controversial to talk about. Yeah, maybe, (laughs) maybe. We're just trying to keep it real here on the C4SO podcast.
1: Yes, indeed. (laughs) All All right. right. Thank you, Ben. Yep. See you next time.
0: Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.